0: Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Episode 8 of Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm so glad to be here with you today. And if today is your first time tuning into the program, I want to give you just a little bit of an idea of the heart behind this program. Serving Our Nation is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders. Each week, I want to offer you hope and encouragement through two guests, at least two guests, that are going to provide a focus on how they live out servant leadership in their particular walk of life. Because I really believe that when you honor God by being a servant leader, blessings just naturally follow from that as a natural byproduct. And it's really incumbent on each of us that when we see a need, we should be filling that need. Because regardless of what walk of life that we're in, we're all given very special gifts. We're all called to be ministers and to love and serve one another. And in previous weeks, I've had so many great and wonderful guests that have shown how that plays out in different walks of life. Within the military, you've heard from people like the Honorable Patrick Murphy, Honorable Ken Wong, and Rear Admiral uh, Kent Davis that really showed how you can be a servant leader in the military in the area of business Colonel Retired Dean DeSibio Melissa Fitzgerald and actress from the West Wing have shown you how you can be a servant leader there in the area of faith Pastor Phil Caparelli Reverend Jimmy White in community Lieutenant Commander Kristen Leone Mr. Bob Frollo and in the area of family last week we heard from Mr. Dean Wagner and Nikki and Andy Lucas on how you could just focus on serving your family and this week I'm so glad to tell you that we have another two great servant leaders. And this really means something to me because I'm a retired lieutenant colonel. I did 20 years, two months, and two weeks in the United States Army, and I'm also a licensed minister in the Assemblies of God. And so there's a special connection to each of my guests this week. My first guest is Major General Clem Coward. He's a career army officer, and he's also the director of the Sexual Assault Prevention and Response Office for the U.S. Army. And my second guest is chaplain, Colonel Retired Scott McChrystal. He's an Army veteran and chaplain. He was an endorser for the Assemblies of God, my denomination. And he was also currently serves as a liaison for the Warrior's Journey. Two very exciting guests that are going to tell you their story of how they live out servant leadership. When we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Major General Clem Coward. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: I did the day just pass me by saying sweet dreams.
2: Jersey's News Talk, 1400 W O N D. The moments when you wish
0: If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to serving our nation.
1: And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Major General Clem Coward. Sir, are you on the line with us?
2: Hey, good afternoon, Paul. Can you hear me okay?
1: Yes, sir, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the program today.
2: No, It's my pleasure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the offer. I appreciate it.
1: Sir, it's my pleasure. You have such a long and accomplished career, but... I'd like to start with how, when, and why you decided to join the military, particularly our beloved Army.
2: Yeah, I'll try to, like you said, Paul, it's one of those things I could probably talk for hours about. (laughs) Um, But I tell you, in in all truthfulness, it it really was my father's influence. Um, It seems like that's all I knew. I was born into it, I was a a military brat, as they call it. Um, My father served uh, an honorable 25 years in the Air Force. And, uh, and it's all I knew, and he, and he really, at, at a very young age, I probably didn't know it, um, but I certainly gained that perspective as I got older. Taught me the value of service. Yeah. Um, I don't think I really had that. It's quote unquote, we would call the storybook pedigree. Um, he was not this uh, this general officer that we read about in history books or anything like that. But he was a hardworking, disciplined, noncommissioned officer. Uh, and I just kind of thought that uh, that was that was that's what to always do. Was to uh, to join our military, and while he was in the Air Force, I I joined the Army. Um, but I think they're just proud that I that I did serve, and they continue to serve in our military. Thanks,
1: sir. Were you a West Point guy? Were you an ROTC guy? How did you come into our Army?
2: Yeah, so I was uh, I was in the Reserve Officer Training Corps. I was in ROTC, um, and, I, and I dabbled in it in high school as well. I, I did three years of Junior ROTC in. Once again, to be honest with you, it was just something my dad said. You're gonna, you're gonna join Junior ROTC, and uh, did three years of it in high school. Uh, and when I got to college, I, I for two years I just same thing dabbled in it until I said, "Hey, I think I'm gonna make a living of this." Um, ran into an influential leader that said, "Hey, we want to contract you," um, and and the rest was history. Uh, once again, it took four years of it in college, and, and then that's how I gained my commission.
1: Sir, I love your story, especially the influence of your father. I recall distinctly when I was about 17 years old and I was looking at college options, my father said to me in no uncertain terms that he was not able to afford four years of the college that I really wanted to go to. And so I needed to help. And he recommended ROTC as a way of me helping. And I thought, all right, well, how hard can it be? I can do four years in the ROTC program, I could do four years maybe in the reserve, but if I don't like it, I can be done. And 20 years later, I wound up retiring from our Army. <laughs>
2: That's so true, Paul. It goes so fast. Um, I, I had all expectations that you know, my wife will, will last, but I was just going to do 20 years and I was going to retire. Um, and here we are, you know, 32 years later almost, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm still serving. So,
1: Yeah. Well, I also really like when you were talking about JROTC and then how that transitions into the ROTC program. My own son is now 17 years old, and I didn't give him quite the same conversation that my father gave me about not being able to afford it, but I did tell him that I would like him to at least consider it, and I've encouraged him to continue working in the JROTC program. And now in the ROTC program, he's really looking at Penn State and continuing on there, so I'm hopeful that he's going to follow in my footsteps there.
2: That's great, you know, and I think that's something you know we as a nation still struggle with. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's the sons and daughters of those who have served that, that continue to serve in our nation, uh, as we, we call the one um, percent. And at some point in time, you know, how do how do we expand that diversity of, of Others to, to serve our nation as well. So, and that, that's a challenge. Uh, we have our recruiters that are out there and we have our recruiting commands, um, that certainly want to bring the very best into all, all of our services and uh, not just the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, uh, the Marine Corps, and now the Space Force. Yeah. Um, but it, but it's, uh, you know, how do, how do we kind of draw that linkage, um, and, and get others to serve as well?
1: Absolutely. Well, sir, as we're bringing these people into our military and especially our arming, I wonder your perspective as a senior leader on what servant leadership is and how you have helped instill that idea of servant leadership in people that you've served with and have been the superior for.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a great question, Paul. And I think based on where I am in life, the age I'm at in in the years of service, um, I I see it in in a fashion of, humility i when i would go visit soldiers in the field they would ask me you know what's my number one attribute or what's my trait and i remember it just came to me naturally i said it's humility uh, so one i think you got to obviously remain, personally just remain humble um and i always tell people it's it's not about me it's never been about me uh and you know how do i pay that forward right now particularly i have less time to serve than I have more than I have served, if that makes any sense. I'm not going to do 32 more years in the Army. Uh, So in sports analogy, I'm on a shot clock, and so what can I do to accelerate uh, servant leadership and pass that down? Um, I just have a couple of traits here, a few traits. I say, hey, don't ever forget where you came from. Treat people how you want to be treated, and be professional to everyone. And, And what I try to exhibit by that is, you know, I have the same tone and body language Whether I'm talking to an 18 or 19 year old private, um, or if I'm talking to a four star general or another senior leader in the department, Uh, to remain maintain that sense of uh, professionalism. But I think the, the real question is that you're asking is, "What am I doing?" And the big thing that one of the biggest traits that I try to have, and I think I'm, you know, that's comfortable to me, is mentoring. And what have I done, and what time do I have for subordinates? Because subordinates will, will always say, hey, I don't want to reach out to you, sir, or ma'am, because we, we know you're a busy person. Um, but you always have time. You've got to find that time. Uh, because it, at some point in time, you're, you're going to hand, hand the keys to the car off to, uh, to them to continue to drive this, uh, this great machine forward. So that's what's important.
1: Sir, I, I love your comments, and I, I have to tell you, I mean, you and I met several years ago when I was still in our army, and I believe you were a full colonel at the time, and you absolutely struck me then, and even more so now, as a leader of humility, and when you talk about making time for people, I distinctly recall that you made over an hour for me, When I came to visit Honorable Murphy in the Pentagon and you sat down with me and we talked about recruiting in our army and we were kind of flushing at ideas and y- you really absolutely treated me how I wanted to be treated, regardless of the fact that you were a senior over me and even now you're a two-star general and you still have made time for me, even just coming on the show today and numerous conversations that we've had in the past. I mean, you just exuberate this idea of humility and treating people how they want to be treated. I really respect that about you, sir. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. Thank you. So, sir, I mean, you've had a very long career. What has been your most memorable moment in your time in the Army?
2: Wow. Uh, so you have a lot of them, um, and I've asked been asked this question before, but I will take it all the way back to probably almost thirty to thirty-one years ago, when I, when I about a year or so after I did come on active duty, um, and, and once again, it's influenced by the the, the non commissioned officer. Really the backbone of our army um that 34 35 year old platoon sergeant that i had it's a very i'll try to tell it in a very short story but it was uh this was 1990 so we didn't have computers in every office we didn't have cell phones uh, we didn't have the internet so when you're doing paperwork at night it's true paperwork um it's seven o'clock in the evening so 1900 military time and I figured, hey, I, I had done a, probably a 16 hour day already, you know, I had done enough for physical training, and we were on a Patriot tactical site. We had soldiers that were moving live missiles across Germany. And it was just me and my 34, 35 year old platoon sergeant sitting in an office, and I thought we were done. I said, hey, first, or, you know, platoon sergeant, Sergeant First Class Jeffers, hey, you got, you ready to go home? I packed my bag up, and he just sat there, very just matter of fact and said sir we uh we still have soldiers on the road and he didn't even move he didn't lecture me he taught me by just his actions and what that showed me was the care and the treatment how to take care of soldiers um like i said that was in this case about 31 years ago knowing that i had young 18 19 25 year old soldiers that were moving missiles on the you know, somewhere on the Audubon in Germany, coming back to our base and our station. Um, but he knew that they were out there, and we needed to wait till they got home. So, sorry if I took any time. I got emotional about it, but that's something that's very important to me.
1: Sarah, that is absolutely a wonderful story, and it reminded me of my time when I was a young lieutenant with a very similar circumstance with a platoon sergeant, and he it, had told me about the value of Viewing your platoon as a family, and we had probably 40, maybe 45 people. I had actually two platoons I was managing in an AVM, and this guy had said, listen, you need to treat every single person in this platoon as though they're part of your extended family. And so what I did is taking over these two platoons, I gave them a – card, if you will, that we made up with all of the emergency contact numbers of myself and the platoon sergeant and the squad leaders and such, and inside that card, we put a mark. And I had paid for a mark for every single person, which was the currency at the time. And so if they ever got in trouble uh-huh. where they were out and about and they had been drinking or whatever, they just needed somebody to come pick them up, they could take that mark and call us, so there was never a question of, well, I couldn't get a hold of any money because I spent all our money. So I, I love your yeah. idea of just caring for your soldiers no matter what the cost
2: yeah i, I tell people and this is the truth I, I remember the names and the faces better of that platoon that i had in 1990-91 uh, that i deployed with the, the desert shield and desert storm more so than even some of the faces and names that i had in my most recent duty assignment and, and that's how uh, of an impact and, and while i'm not the, the biggest fan of social media and facebook i I'm on it to just see and keep up with people, um, and I see their faces and names out there. Uh, those are the people that uh, truly were probably more influential to where I'm at today, and to, to, for that, I'm, I'm totally indebted to uh, their service.
1: Sir, absolutely, and I, I share that same passion for being able to connect with people on Facebook, and those very same platoon sergeants uh, I just connected with the other day on Facebook, so absolutely I agree with you. Sir, so I want to briefly okay. talk about, if it's okay, uh, your current yeah. job in the Sapro office and really why yeah. sexual assault is so detrimental to our Army and our society and how we as leaders can serve others by look, looking out for our battle buddy, whether it be male or female. I want to get your perspective on all that, please, sir.
2: Yeah, so it is, I would tell you, um, the, the Department of Defense is absolutely committed in this mission area to stop this type of behavior in our ranks. Um, We have been for a long time, and we are more so today than than I have personally seen uh, in in a very long time. Uh, We have a new Secretary of Defense on his second day in office. Um, he, He issued a memo out to the force, really a call for action, to say we must stop this, we must do better, uh, we are not doing a good job of it, and with that it 's it's open source. We have what's called the 90 Day sexual assault commission a prevention commission that's stood up by Miss Lynn Rosenthal um, and to, to, to look for some outcomes um, in, in prevention, accountability, climate and culture, and, and victim assistance uh, i don 't know where that's going going to land because we have just started that uh, and that 's really an independent look at it. But when it comes to just my own personal value of it, um, it is this, this is non-negotiable behavior. And as a leader, you have to exhibit that and profess that from day one um, if you're in charge or leading an organization. And I believe that people see that and they understand that and they know where you sit with it. I'm not saying they will think twice, um, but certainly you have put the organization on notice and it's not a threat uh, Because at the end of the day Paul, It's about readiness Right. Um, these are our sons and daughters How do we how do we convince mom and dad And grandpas and uncles and aunts And say we want your young son or daughter To join our force um, When they don't have the trust In the force That we are asking their son or daughter To come serve in right. um, If they don't think that we can take care of, of Him or her uh, So I take it on as a challenge, Paul. I really do. Um, people saying like, "Well, you know, basically, you know, how, how did you get in this job?" And I said, "Well, it was something that uh, the senior leaders of the military said I, I needed to go an interview for." And I went into it because I have the passion to try to take care of people, and um, and I think it's so important that we have to continue to work hard at it, and we can never put our guard down. Uh, It's too important. Once again, it's our our sons and daughters of our nation. It's too important that we need to gain their trust, and, and we need them for the readiness and the defense of our nation
1: sir absolutely and that goes back to treating people how you want to be treated so we've got about a minute left but i would love if you could just tell our listeners you know what role faith has played in your family and how you've been able to balance the needs of work and family as a senior leader and really just care for your family while you've been deployed i mean family plays such an important role as senior leaders
2: yeah no thanks a lot paul because the challenge is always balance um so I, once again, I didn't realize this until probably I was a, a lieutenant colonel. So this is you know 13 or 14 years ago, right before I went to the Command, and I had a retired colonel who said, "Do you need to figure out what are your personal values?" Um, and I never really thought of it in that fashion, and, and it, but it came to me pretty natural because of my upbringing, um, raised in a very uh, strong Christian home. A mom We went to the chapel. Once again, every every Sunday did Vacation Bible School and. On, uh, in, in the summer and at Sunday school. But, so I knew faith was, was one of my, was one of my strong values. Um, and the next was family and friends. And of course the third was, was the army. And what I realized is they're all inclusive of each other. Right. Um, they all, they all intersect and they cross. And so for the family, what's still important to us, particularly now that, you know, when you are, when you do come back from a deployment or from, from being gone, is you have to try your best to make up time. And for us, it's COVID, we have taken advantage of the pandemic by having dinner with each other as much as we can each night. Yep. Um, sitting at the dining room table, still saying grace every uh, every day. Love that. And uh, and still remembering those those values that uh, hopefully my 21 year old and, and my 15 year old will will continue to take forward um, as they go into a young adulthood and. and, and go throughout their life as well, Paul. So that's, that's what's important for us, and, uh, and we try to nest that within our family.
1: Sir, all I can say to that is amen. It has been an absolute privilege having you on the show today, sir. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Paul, and uh, look forward to seeing you down the road. Thanks a lot.
1: All right. When we come back from okay. the break, I'll be joined by Chaplain Colonel Retired, Scott McChrystal. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media production.
1: And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Rev. Dr. Paul McCullough. And for those of you just joining, I just want to remind you uh, that I am a licensed minister in the Assemblies of God and a retired lieutenant colonel of 20 years. And so that is the reason for our two guests today. I just had Major General Clem Coward, and now I'm joined by Chaplain Colonel Retired Scott McChrystal. Chaplain, are you with us today?
3: I am definitely with you, Paul. Thank you so much for... uh the
1: invitation. Listen, it is an honor to have you on the show, Chaplain. Thank you so much for taking the time. But, Chaplain, you have a such a wide and diverse career. Uh, if it's okay, I'd like to just start with a little bit about your military ministry. If you can talk to our listeners about how, when, and why you decided to join the military, specifically our Army.
3: Well, Paul, as uh, so often happens with, uh, with boys, and I guess girls, too. My dad was uh, a career military officer I admired him more than any other person in the world and so I decided to follow in his footsteps and joined ROTC in college and uh, the rest is history I just felt my dad used to tell me frequently that the world doesn't owe us a living and uh, I felt with uh, Vietnam War going on uh, I should be willing to sacrifice as much as the next person. So that had a lot to do with my joining.
1: Wow, I I love that. The world doesn't owe us a living. So from when you joined the Army, what was the calling like for you to become a chaplain? How did that transition go for you? When did that happen?
3: Well, people that knew me well, to include my wife, were shocked. I was an entry officer beginning in 1970 when i became on came on active duty okay and uh, i didn't become a christian until actually after vietnam and then in 1978 i was teaching rotc at the citadel and uh went down to uh, an altar one day and had an experience and uh when i left the altar the lord uh, had definitely uh, impressed me that i was supposed to get out of uh get out of off of active duty and uh, and go to seminary he didn't tell me to become a chaplain he just said Go and so i didn't know any better. I trusted him
1: yeah. and we went and what was that journey like for you how, how long did that process a, take it uh it was actually
3: a surprisingly accelerated process for me paul i I uh, left active duty from the Citadel as an ROTC instructor in in uh, June of 1980, uh, went to seminary, and two and a half years later, I was back on active duty with the 82nd Airborne Division.
1: As a chaplain? I
3: fortunately, yes. I fortunately had a number of courses. The Army had sent me to get a, a master's in business, and so a number of courses uh, were allowed for credit and I took heavy loads, and because I was uh, coming upon the age uh, limit for accepting chaplains, uh, it was about thirty-six, at least in the rank of, of uh, major. I was about to make major, so if I were going to get on active duty, uh, I had to move quickly. So the Lord just gave me favor and, and uh, opened the door.
1: And how long did you serve as a chaplain? I served 21 years, Paul. Wow. So I can't imagine the countless number of people that you brought to Christ during that 21 years, Chaplain.
3: Well, I, I can say I was, uh, I, I guess I was tainted in a, in a good way by my own experience. And I'm, and I'm not knocking, Chaplains. It was la- probably largely due to my spiritual obtuseness but uh i I did run into a number of people, particularly in vietnam and and i uh I never had anybody engage me because spiritually paul I was clueless right and uh and so when when I did have a minister who was doing premarital counseling with Judy and me ask me if I knew Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is what I said, Paul, almost verbatim i said sir i don't I don't have a clue what you're talking about, oh my gosh and, <laughs> He explained that to me. It made sense. I was never an atheist or anything like that, but I, I just did not know that a person can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. So, make a long story short, I uh, I knew I was a sinner. That was uh, not an issue, and I just didn't. Uh, there was no doubt. I made the decision. It was not some emotional experience. It, it for me, it was just a logical decision and from that time on that was in May of 1973 I've never looked back and and uh, realized that uh, you know God God loves me God has a plan and he loves all people and, and my job to a large measure is to tell other people that he loves them every bit as much as he loves me and he's got a plan a purpose for every life
1: Amen, chapter. Amen. I, I I wonder how has God blessed you during your very long ministry to others? Like what f- kind of fruit have you seen come back to you as a blessing through your ministry?
3: Well, it's uh kind of funny. I'm almost 73 now, Paul, but I uh when you when you just hopefully, you know, they say uh Christianity is long obedience in the same of direction. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, pretend to be particularly smart or talented, but I, but I do persevere. And through all the different assignments and so forth, I think the most rewarding thing for me is to watch people not only get saved, but to be able to follow them. And in the military, as you well know, Paul, you move around a lot, yep. but uh, the world's smaller than you think. And even as a civilian, I'm, I'll am i get calls, I'll get letters, I'll get texts, or I'll just run into people at various installations where I may be traveling or speaking, and uh, and you hear from these folks and see how they've grown, and it's exciting to see how how God just uh, treasures every life.
1: Absolutely. And we'll
3: cooperate with him. It's amazing what he can do in each one of us. That's... That- That's what excites me.
1: I love that. Chaplain, is there a most memorable moment that you have of your time as a chaplain?
3: Well, yes, Paul, but I almost don't want to tell the listeners, but I'm going to admit it because it might help somebody. As you well know, Paul, some of the uh, challenges of being in the military are you get a mission. It's important. There are matters of life and death at times, and... uh, People work very well as a team, but one of the things you don't want to do is fail. Right. And uh, in a particular time, I was at Fort Polk. I was uh, really trying to do more than I should have. I wasn't using wisdom. And I went into my office one day. I was a pastor of a, a large church there at, on Fort Polk, and I was also a uh, what they call an observer controller. It's really somebody that evaluates people at a training center, like they had at the Joint Readiness Training Center. I was way over my head trying to do both, and as I did, I got worn out, and I went to prayer one day, and I was I was whining to the Lord and complaining that this was killing me. Yeah. And he goes, well, Scott, why are you working so hard? And I said, Lord, I love you. And now, he talks to me this way, Paul, I don't, you know, he talks to people differently. Sure. But he said, uh, well, Scott, I'll give you partial credit for that answer, but why are you working so hard? And it was the Holy Spirit just just splitting my heart. And I said, Lord, I'm afraid to fail. And then if you can imagine this, I, I can see with a smile on his face. He said, well, Scott, that's ironic. You failed many times. And haven't I always been there for you? Wow. I said, yes, sir. And he said, guess what? You're going to fail a bunch of other times, you know, coming up. That's, you know, that's in the plan. Yeah. So you don't need to worry about failing. All I want you to do is try. Yeah. Try your best. Just like a a parent isn't going to cast a child away when they fail, but they can be very happy and even proud of them when they try. And so that message finally got into my heart, Paul, and while I still work very hard, I don't think I work as hard as you do, brother, but, <laughs> but to work for the right reasons, not because we're afraid to fail.
1: Chaplain, I love that. And I've
3: that. been able to share that message with
1: a lot of folks. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, it just reminded me, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, chaplain.
3: Thank you. It was a powerful lesson.
1: I I also know that you spent quite a bit of time as an endorser for the Assemblies of God denomination for new and aspiring young chaplains that want to become chaplains like you did. What lessons were you able to pass on to these young aspiring chaplains?
3: I think, perhaps most importantly, Paul, I'm sure many in your listening audience Realize that the the military, in many respects, has been a social laboratory. There's a lot of pressure on chaplains. There's a lot of pressure everywhere, and certainly on civilian pastors, but the military is tightly, uh, very closely scrutinized, and so chaplains have an awful lot of responsibility. And so with the experience I had both as an entry officer and then as a chaplain, and with the changing culture, we all see it changing and very difficult to operate, particularly in some respects with, with uh, religious uh, liberty, religious freedom issues. And so it's just been a joy to help chaplains, not only to encourage them, but help them navigate sticky situations. Yeah. And it's not always a matter of uh, courage because I tell people, you know, you want to stand up for the Lord. But you can only die once, and if you're going to die on a certain hill, be sure it's the right cause. And so often I find that uh, in, the, in the political situations that we run into that do affect the military and other ethical, moral-type uh, issues, it really takes wisdom. And so it's in my joy to just dialogue. I don't tell people what to do. But I talk with them, and most of the time, these chaplains—they're uh, smart, and they—they uh, love the Lord, and they want to do the right thing, and uh, they come up with the right answers most of the time.
1: That's incredible. And
3: that gives me joy to see them grow and develop—you know—into the potential of what God has uh, has for their lives.
1: Amen. But Chaplain, we have about a minute left and I know that you've done a lot of work with another organization called The Warrior's Journey since you finished your time as an endorser and I know that you've also done a lot of work with The Warrior's Bible and other devotionals and books that you've written. What encouragement would you give to young aspiring writers and other people that might be listening that are just encouraged by your story today?
3: My, my uh, encouragement, Paul, would be this. If Writing is something God's laid in your heart. Writing is, it's hard. And uh, there's a saying that the uh, quality of a sermon is equal to the quality of the discard pile, meaning you leave a lot of good stuff out. Mm. And the same thing with writing. And it's hard to get a break sometimes, but if you really feel compelled to write, uh, keep trying, keep trying, keep knocking. As the uh, scripture said, ask, seek, and knock. And the door will be opened.
1: Amen. And just
3: don't give up, and um, that's that's what I would say. I'm not. I don't consider myself particularly talented, but I persevere, and uh, hopefully for the right reasons. And so, there's a lot of uh, talent, and I believe, Paul, that a, a book you're working on, brother, I'm telling you, keep at it, and um, God's going to honor that. I believe He will.
1: Chaplain, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that and really do uh, value your encouragement and words of motivation from the other day and will absolutely continue to ask, seek, and knock on that book that I'm working on. Can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on today and really just sharing your heart with our listeners today, Chaplain.
2: Well,
3: it's been my privilege, Paul. Thank you so much for all that, that you do, and God bless your uh, listening audience.
1: Thank you, Chaplain. When we come back from the break, we'll reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard from today's guests. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob
1: Media production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Rev. Dr. Paul McCullough. And as we close out today's show, let's talk about what we've heard from our guest. Major General Coward and Chaplain McChrystal gave us such very important lessons. I love how Chaplain McChrystal talked about you can just follow people. Not in terms of likes and things of that nature, but being able to use social media for connecting or reconnecting with people that you may have served with years ago or people that you may have mentored years ago. That is absolutely a form of servant leadership because you might speak words of life into somebody or be somebody's mentor. And decades later, they could have an incredible career and they can tell you, hey, I made a difference or I was able to change my life or make a good decision because of words of life that you spoke into me. So I love that idea of being able to connect with people and keep up with people. And then you also heard Chaplain McChrystal talk about encouraging people. And he said that when he was listening to the Lord and listening to what God was speaking to his heart, he heard the words, why are you working so hard? And his response was, well, Lord, I don't want to mess up. But the truth of the matter is, and he said it best, we're all going to mess up. We all fall short of the glory of God. No matter how hard we work, no matter how many hours we put in, we all sin, we all make mistakes, we're flawed human beings. But you can serve other people but by being a reminder to them that it's going to be okay. They're going to make a mistake, but you can help them to pick themselves up, dust themselves off and get back in the fight to keep the faith. You heard General Coward talk about putting others first. Now, he did that in his military career, but you can put others first no matter what walk of life that you're in. And I also heard him distinctly saying, treat others as you want to be treated. And that so much reminds me of John 1334. And if you ever had a chance to take a look at the logo for this program, it's that, John 1334. And it's Jesus Christ saying to us, a new commandment I give to you, love others as I have loved you. And it's really saying the exact same thing. And then you also heard General Coward about how you can serve your family by just having balance in all that you do, in your work, in your family, your faith. They all need to intersect and intertwine and be equally balanced. And I love how both of our guests today talked about the tradition of military service and how they were carrying that on from the legacy that their father had given to them. So I absolutely believe that no matter what walk of life that you're in, no matter who you are and what you're doing, you can be a servant leader and you can absolutely learn something from the servant leaders that are on this program each week. Now, very really quickly, I want to just talk to you. Every week, I mentioned to you about how when you put good into the universe, good will come back to you. If you recall, a couple of weeks ago, I had a very special guest on this program, Miss Melissa Fitzgerald, who was an actress on the West Wing a few years ago. And, you know, I just continue to try to have a great relationship with Melissa. She's a good friend, and I always want to just serve her and help her in whatever way possible. And this past week, she gave me a very kind and uh, just a very heartwarming surprise. She sent me an envelope, and inside there was a handwritten note, thanks for all that you do, with a o- coin from her organization. And that meant so very much to me. And Melissa, if you're listening, I want to personally thank you for that. And it just really warmed my heart. So it absolutely is true. When you put good into the universe, good comes back to you. Listen, next week, two very exciting guests In the first half, I've got Lieutenant Colonel Mark Meeker and his wife, Kristen. Mark is a career military officer. His wife, Kristen, has been along his side the entire time. She's an educator and a counselor on military installations, and they're both parents of military children. In the second half, I've got Mr. Danny Nolan. He's a veteran, he's a former police officer, and he's also a worship leader. I'm honored to be able to do this program with you each week, and I want to encourage you to sign up for my Spotify and Apple Podcast mailing list through my website at reverenddrpaul.com. That's r e v d r Paul.com As you go about your week, no matter where you're at and what you're doing, always ask of the people around you, how can I help? Thanks for listening and join us again next week.
2: Yeah. Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness, your
0: faithfulness. I'm stealing your.